Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Hello, Sunshine. I'm Alexi Lawless, and welcome to the State of the Union podcast, where we look at the beautiful game on and off the field through the lens of red, white, and blue-colored glasses. This episode, we'll be talking Champions League. It's back, baby. Uh, Team identity, the U.S. women's national team, independently, goalkeepers scoring, Jesse Marsh, and so much more. But first joining me, as always, my friend, my colleague, my guiding light, David Mossy, a soccer savant and a Fox soccer researcher and writer extraordinaire. Mossy, how you doing on this uh, Wednesday, September 20th in the year 2023? I'm doing well. I'm glad you were here and not fulfilling your civic responsibility. Again, I have, uh, I, I, I am unscathed so far. Knock on wood, knock on my head, knock on everything. Three days. So we are recording this on Wednesday for three days. I have avoided the call in, if you will, when it comes to jury duty. I have two more. Uh, and if I avoid it again, I will have fulfilled my civic duty, even though they haven't been called in. So yes, at 7 p.m. each day, I log on and I find out my fate for the next day. Three out of five. I don't want to jinx it, but uh, we're, we're getting we're getting down to the uh, last part of the week here. So it's been okay. But it means that I can be here with you and we don't any, uh, change any schedule. And thankfully... Uh, from my perspective and maybe from people's perspective, I get to be in the show because there's all sorts of stuff to talk about. Have you watched anything, my friend, since last we spoke? I have um, oh. a new show that uh, my father had been recommending and I finally started this week. Are you familiar with this Rough Diamonds on Netflix? Uh, Rough Diamonds. What's it about? I might have watched it. It's uh, about this Jewish family in Adam Antwerp. Sandler. This Adam Sandler or is this a different one? No, no, different That's one. Diamonds. That's a diamond, something diamonds anyway. All right, so what is it? Uh, this Jewish family in Antwerp who uh, deals in the diamond uh, industry. Uh, it's sort of, and there's a whole mob tie-in, crime, drama. Episodal kind of, or a yes, movie? Uh, episodal, okay. eight episodes, and I'm through four, and I'm loving it. There's only eight? Yes. Okay, well, I can check that out. Oh my goodness. Uh, well, let's see what I got to offer here. Um, I have something actually just came on Netflix. It's a documentary, uh, just a movie, uh, The Saints of Second Chances about um, the Vick, uh, Vec, sorry, the Vec family. Uh, Bill Vec, famous owner of the White Sox, and then his son, Mike Vec, uh, who was working with the White Sox and then took over and kind of... Um, you know, came to, you know, prominence working in what they call the independent league. You know, you have the major leagues in baseball and then you have the minor leagues and then it just goes down and down and down and you have this independent league. It's kind of a free form type of thing that's going on. It's the baseball equivalent of where Wrexham played at. Exactly. But it is a fascinating look into the, the main character, Mike, but also into his family, his father, the shadow of his father. And it's actually 
it's, it's really beautiful. And whether, cause I don't, I'm not a baseball fan. I really don't care about it, but you don't even have to care about baseball to, uh, to appreciate it, whether it's the actual personal interactions that he has with his family and others, whether it's the relationship that he has with the sport in this case, baseball, I think there's so many things that you can, uh, that you can relate to. And the other part is, you know, having been in, in soccer now for decades and decades and decades and working in front offices, um, the, you know, the, the work that goes in from the men and women in many of these teams. And yeah, we have MLS at the top, but all of these other soccer teams that we have to drum up support and the things that go on. And Mike, uh, the, uh, the main character of this is famous or infamous, I guess it would be for the stunt be, uh, of Disco Sucks, where they told everybody you could come to the ballpark, you bring a disco record, and then they, <laughs> then they exploded it. And it ended up being a real crowd problem in that moment. You can look at that. But the point is that he and his family were always trying to do things, crazy things sometimes, but incredible things in terms of promotions. And if you look back in soccer history, this is a part of the business that has been and continues to be a huge part of the business. You look at the Laiwiki brothers, Tim Laiwiki famously started indoor soccer and a lot of the promotions that were done in hockey and indoor soccer and all the different things. So I think there's a lot of parallels and a lot of similarities. I think people will enjoy it, whether they, like I said, whether you like baseball or not. So the saints of second chances, and I think it just came on Netflix. Um, what else? I got anything else, my friend? Now let's hey, by the way, the did you see that uh, we're going to talk about Champions League here in a second. Did you see that Jesse Marsh is now, uh, I guess, in the television broadcast field? Doing some sideline reporting for CBS. He was at the San Siro for the Milan Newcastle. All right. Well, let's let's light this candle when it comes to uh, Champions League because the last couple of days, and we are recording this again uh, on Wednesday, the, the last uh, group of games from a Champions League perspective, it just finished up. So they're fresh in our mind, but we've had some incredible, incredible results. And yes, Jesse Marsh, formerly of many teams uh, and someone we have an eye on. He was involved and had a, was a possibility that he was going to be the national team coach. Evidently, he and his family are living in Italy. And uh, at one point, the, our good folks over there at Paramount threw down to the sideline in San Siro, uh, where AC Milan was playing against Newcastle. And there was Jesse Marsh with a microphone. Did a good job. Uh, he's got a future if he wants to uh, be in broadcast. I think he's got other plans when it comes to coaching. But evidently, he's moved with his family to Italy. Rough life, my friend, rough life. But uh, we'll see what ultimately happens with Jesse. And he was there to give us uh, his uh, information. All right. Where do you want to start when it comes to Champions League? So let's start on Tuesday. Let's do PSG Dortmund okay. first. Okay. Uh, PSG claimed a 2-0 home win over Dortmund at the Parc de Prince. Kylian Mbappe from the penalty spot and Ashraf Hakimi accounting for the goals. A fairly commanding victory. We've talked a lot about Messi and Neymar leaving PSG and the implications for them. Messi going to MLS and Neymar going to Saudi Arabia. But we haven't talked about the implications for PSG. They are looking to pivot away from the Galactico Globetrotter approach and to become a quote-unquote normal club again. Now, they still spend lots of money this summer. That's not going to change. But there is a different feel. They started this all-French front three of Mbappe, Ousmane Dembele, and Randall Colomwani. They signed this industrious Uruguayan midfielder, Manuel Ugarte, from Sporting Lisbon, who slotted in at the sixth. They added Skriniar and Lucas Hernandez at the back. And it feels less flashy, less, gl less glitz and glamour. And the fans supposedly like this better. We'll see what it translates to in the Champions League, but so far, so good. A match day one win over Dortmund. Yeah, I mean, the, the result aside, do you think that this is a function of the reality that they're, 
You know, there isn't a Messi out there. There isn't a Neymar out there. They already have Mbappe. Or do you really think that this is where they sat down and they said, this is what we've done. And it, it has worked in that it established PSG as one of the elite clubs in the world relative to the money that they spent and the stardom that they have. It didn't work in terms of ultimately getting to the, the mount. But do, do, you, do you really believe that they are going to go away? And, and, and do you want PSG to be less of a, uh, uh, of, a, of a, I guess it's a faux Galactico or at least an attempt to be a Galactico type of team? I think this is a good pivot for them. The star approach sort of came to a head last season. You could tell the fans were sort of over it. This feeling that guys like Messi and Neymar behaved as if they were doing them a favor by being at the club. And so they tried this for a few years. It didn't translate into a Champions League title. So now let's try something different. And I think what they've concluded is having multiple big stars sharing the spotlight is not healthy. So just go all in on Mbappe, build a team around him um, with a supporting cast. And that might compel him to stay longer because he might enjoy this. And bear in mind, they're still dealing yeah. with the specter of him leaving for free next summer, but they claim the relationship is better. So they think they might be able to convince him to sign a contract extension. We'll see. But that's what they're going for, at least this season. You know, I don't want to harp on this, but if they hadn't come to that conclusion and didn't want to do that, what would live up to the Galacticos type of project? I, I, again, I'm coming back to it is that you know, you know, Mbappe, and Holland, but are we living at a time where there's not as many of those superstars? Yes, okay. I think that's fair too. Okay, all right. Um, um, but obviously, if they keep winning, that's an okay, although Dortmund did not put up a, uh, much of a did fight. Did not put up much of a fight. Gio Reyna listed among the substitutes, which is a step in the right direction, but did not get in the game, so we're still waiting for Gio's first appearance of the season. And who knows, maybe there will be creation. I mean, Hakimi is already a, a, a Big, not a great star, but that goal he scored was pretty nice. I mean, his shifting of weight and his, uh, you know, equilibrium and all that kind of stuff was pretty fun to see. And they've got depth. They've also added Gonzalo Ramos, Marco Asensio. So it's actually a well put together squad this season. We'll see again what it translates to in the Champions League. But uh, so far, so good match they won. Uh, also on Tuesday, we just talked about the game Jesse Marsh was at. Uh, AC Milan, Newcastle, nil-nil at the San Siro. Milan had virtually all the chances, particularly in the first half, but couldn't put the ball in the back of the net. There was that one curious play where Rafael Leon dribbled through the whole Newcastle back line and could have just shot it, but instead <laughs> tried to backheel it and got himself all uh, tied up there. Uh, both Pulisic and Musa began on the bench, came on in the second half. I thought Musa played really well, had some nice moments, gave them a spark. Pulisic, not so much. I saw some people praising him on Twitter. He saw a lot of the ball as a function of Milan attacking and being on the front foot, so it felt like he was active but he didn't really do a whole lot with it to unlock that Newcastle right, defense. So I agree with you. And so let's take Pulisic out of it for a second. Let's go to Musa, actually, because I, I think to your point, he, he came on and he did show an energy. What was, I, I guess, not concerning, but was surprised. And, and maybe it even shouldn't, shouldn't be surprising because he's still trying to figure out where he fits in. But I felt like the way that we see Musa, and when I say we, you know, the Americans through that filter of the national team, it, it's there's a real understanding of what he is and what he isn't. And I think it's already kind of established. And I guess that's to be expected because of the time that he has had. But I still saw a player out there just trying to fit in and trying to do not too much, but just do things. And, and I understand I can sympathize with somebody coming in to try to figure it out. But I, I actually don't think that's necessarily a bad thing because he impressed you. Right? I think he impressed others. And I think as he gets a better understanding of what 
he is going to be good at in this new environment. And maybe from a coaching perspective, they have a better understanding of what he's going to do. I think then you're going to see the real, uh, the real Musa. And who knows, by the end, when all is said and done in terms of Americans out there, uh, if Polistic doesn't figure out a way to reignite some of that energy and fire that he had when he first got there, then who knows? Maybe we'll be talking about Musa ultimately when it all comes down to it in AC Milan relative to Americans. On Polistic, it's a little fuzzy whether you consider this a benching or load management, squad rotation. Uh, But if you do consider it a benching, um, I saw a lot of chatter on Twitter about how this is yet another example of how Americans are treated unfairly. They have a shorter leash, a quicker hook, less benefit of the doubt. Lots of other players struggled against Inter and they were back out there in the starting lineup. Why is it Pulisic that has to drop out? This topic's been in the air because Tim Howard came out recently and said if Pulisic was Dutch or Italian, he'd still be at Chelsea right now. He was treated unfairly there. Um, I, a couple of people on Twitter last couple of days, I said if Pulisic was Brazilian, he wouldn't have been dropped for this Champions League game. So there's still this sense among American fans that their players are treated unfairly, while others say that U.S. fans need to get over that. It's whiny. What do you make of it? Well, it, it is whiny. And, you know, save the drama for your mama. This is something that has been around for for a long time. And I have no I have absolutely no sympathy for for those players in that. This should, this should be something that you just factor in and understand. And so if and when it happens, it should come as no surprise to the actual players or to anybody else that is watching. Life isn't fair and soccer isn't fair. So figure it out. And as an American, all right, which comes with baggage, some of, the, some of it wonderful baggage, and other, uh, other parts of it where you have to work through it and you have to get to the point where you're not just a good American player, but you're a great player who happens to be American and you won't get the benefit of the doubt. So suck it up, Buttercup, figure it out and find a way to make yourself so good that they're not willing to take you off the field, that you have to be on the field. Not because you're American, but because you're the best damn player for that position and you are going to do you are going to give the team the best chance of winning. And from a coaching perspective, a manager perspective, that you are going to enable them to keep doing their job and not get fired. A few other Tuesday notes before we move off that day. Um, Lazio Atletico Madrid 1-1. Atletico Madrid led in stoppage time. And Lazio's goalkeeper, Ivan Profidel, who had come up for a set piece, ends up heading in the equalizer. Did you see this goal? Very good header by a goalkeeper. Not only a great header, but just wonderful timing. And if you just took his off and we're watching here in studio, if you're just listening and and I'm sure you've seen it out there because anytime something like this happens, which is a complete rarity. I think it's only the second time that's ever happened in in Champions League history. But this this was a wonderful moment for the celebration, but also for what you are seeing and the rarity that it is, how unique it was to, to see it. And I, I love sending goalkeepers up. I don't know why it's not actually done more. I get it that you're risking, but the risk reward to have not only an additional player in there, but oftentimes one that is much taller than anybody else. I just think that, that this may, and I know there's, uh, there's an element of at the end of the game and there's a desperation mode to it, I wonder at a certain point, do you not look at that risk reward and there's smart people out there and analytics people out there and great coaches and managers out there that might say, you know what, if I have 10 corners in a game and I have the goalkeeper come up for every single one of those corners, 
what are how many how 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 much better are our chances of getting ch- uh, of getting opportunities and putting the ball in the back of the net than if I just have the goalkeeper stay back with the understanding that at some point you're going to get dinged and are you willing to accept that I don't know maybe that's just a evolved type of way of thinking of it or who knows maybe it's just a dumb regressive type of way of thinking out but I would love to see more of it yeah first Champions League goal by a goalkeeper since Victor and Yama for Apoel Tel Aviv in 2010 so it'd been 13 years since it happened it happens here um a couple of other Tuesday notes. As you know, I am the president of the João Felix fan club. I consider yes. it a tragedy that he wasted so many years playing for a manager in Diego Simeone who is great. You can't argue with his record, but his forte is not getting the best out of those kinds of players. Uh, he then had that half-season loan spell with Chelsea where he showed some flashes, but who was going to play consistently well on that Chelsea team? <laughs> this is the first time in his career with Barcelona under Xavi where he has the proper footballing context around him. And... It's only been a couple of games here, but he started the last two and scored three goals in those two games, both 5-0 wins over Betis in the weekend, and then Antwerp here in the Champions League. He looked phenomenal. What a player to watch, huh? Well, two questions. One, what gets your juices flowing about him or has gotten your juices flowing about him? I mean, when he goes in and and does well and scores goal, it's obvious to everybody. What has gotten him over the years? What has gotten your juices flowing? And two, why has it taken so long for either him, his representation, or I guess the game to figure out what he needs to be successful. Yeah, it's a real failing on his part uh, that he chose to go to Atletico Madrid. I I spotted that one right away and said, that's not going to be a good fit. Uh, He should have never made that move. I'm glad he's finally found his way to Barcelona. He pushed all summer to go to Barcelona. So that's that's the only place I want to go to. And you were wondering whether Barcelona were going to make the finances work. Somehow they did. It's a loan. And by the way, if he plays really well, they're going to want to buy him permanently. But then Barcelona's financial issues are going to become a topic there. Um, but I, I, just the way he's so smooth and the way he skips past defenders and he has these like nifty touches and traffic. Yeah, but he's always it. done that. And it's always been kind of a flatter to see. What? Uh, for, uh, okay. Uh, what makes him better or worse? Or I guess maybe the same, maybe a comp to Antoine Griezmann, who was always there, but not quite there. I know he's a champion of the world, Ma, but, but still, which one, who's a better player? Well, I mean, I'd say Griezmann. Okay, why? Because of... Yeah, he's just done it for many years at the highest level. He's had a better career. I mean, Felix, we're still talking about potential here. That's okay. unrealized, but I, I just love his game. I think his, the ceiling is, I mean, he, he could be one of the best players in the world. And I think if he sticks out of Barcelona under Xavi, that's his best bet to get there. Well, I mean, he's only 23, but you know that it's taken this long. And look, there are, there are winding roads uh, and it's not always a straight path. And so if this is the destination that ultimately gets the best out of him, that that's a good thing for people that love him like you and just the uh, soccer in general and obviously for the team he's playing for. And then the uh, defending champions, Manchester City, rallied for a 3-1 win over Red Star Belgrade, which is what I'm still going to call that team, even though it's technically something else. Uh, Julian Alvarez uh, with two goals. They're now starting Alvarez and Holland together. Alvarez playing behind Holland. And if one doesn't get you, the other will. I mean, to have those two guys on the field, the amount of goal scoring <laughs> you have between those two. And so Holland didn't score here, but it was Alvarez who came up big and they get the... And they're, they're kind of combining all the best of all worlds in terms of you know different ways to kill you, different types of approaches, different types of physicalities and all that kind of stuff. So... Yeah, they're they're very dangerous. (laughs) Uh, We shift over to Wednesday. The big one was Bayern Munich hosting Manchester United. Ended up being a goal fest in Munich. Bayern took it uh, 4-3. Harry Kane scored from the penalty spot. Uh, Sané, Gnabry, Tell with the other goals for Bayern. Uh, Hoyland got his first uh, Champions League goal for Manchester United. Uh, Casemiro scored twice late. 
Um, losing away to Bayern isn't in and of itself a big deal, but it is United's third straight defeat, fourth in five games. So the larger context means that uh, they're in some trouble here. And this, I think both teams can go back into the locker room and be disappointed and look at the score and have it flatter them. You know, I think from a, uh, you know, from a, a Manchester United perspective, they got completely outplayed. All right. But they still scored three goals. And so they definitely should take some solace in that. But ultimately, this should have been done. This should have been, you know, probably ultimately, you know, 4-1, 4-2, whatever it ended up being. But they didn't have any of the ball and not by design. They didn't have anything to counter, literally to counter in terms of when they did get the ball. And so they had no teeth that they showed in terms of me believing that, oh, this is okay, this is an okay result. And now we take it back uh, on the... Uh, um, uh, when, when they play him at home. And from a Bayern Munich perspective, it's all fine and well in terms of controlling the ball and scoring goals. And I'm not, a, you know, I mean, it's a howler, okay, uh, on the first one. And it, and it happens, but, but still, this is not a great result for Bayern Munich on the scoreboard uh, in terms of what it should have actually been. Yeah, for United, I mentioned one of their big summer signings, Rasmus Hoyland, finding the back of the net, so that's good. But another one, Andre Onana, who's had a rough start to the season, uh, letting in an absolute howler for Bayern's first goal. Uh, and remember the context there. They let David De Gea go. He is still a free agent, by the way. Nobody has picked him up. Uh, they make this big move for Onan in the summer, which everybody thought was a good move. He's coming off a very good season with Inter and had played for Ten Hag at Ajax previously. But man, he, he is struggling so far. So a lot of people on Twitter today were saying, you know, <laughs> they, they missed De Gea. They, they regret that decision. All right, go ahead. Talk about Casemiro. No, I, I actually think his his game is a microcosm of what you just said about United. It's sort of dressing up what was not a great performance late. I mean, Casemiro is not there to score goals per se. He's there to marshal the midfield and I mean, he's looked slow uh, this season and uh, struggling to keep up with the game. Casemiro starter for Brazil next summer in Copa America? Yes? No? Uh, next summer, probably yes, but I'm, I'm wondering about 26. You don't think 26. There's this young kid, Andrea, who plays for Fluminense, who's the heir apparent. And I think between now and 26, that change might take place. All right. What else? Um, also on Wednesday, Real Madrid, a 1-0 home win over Union Berlin. They controlled the whole game, hit the post a couple of times, but could not score until stoppage time. Who else but Jude Bellingham, his sixth in all competitions this season. Uh, this is the 14-time champions against a team make playing its first ever Champions League match. There was a real sort of David versus Goliath feel here. Uh, Real Madrid leaving it late. They get the W. Jude Bellingham, the hero. Yeah, I mean, this was from a Union Berlin perspective. This was a let's attempt to bend as much as we possibly can without breaking and let's get a little help from the soccer gods and get out of here. And they almost did it. I mean, even the goal ultimately that Real Madrid scored was you know off a set piece and it bounces around and ultimately... You make your own luck, and Jude, I mean, has just been everything that they wanted and more. So a big goal. I don't worry about this result from a Real Madrid perspective in, in terms of the possession they had, in terms of the opportunities that they uh, that they created. And Berlin, they needed the perfect day, and just that one moment caught them. On the American front, Brendan Aronson came on in the second yep. half. Um, tough game for him to shine because uh, they were parking the bus. Real Madrid was dominating. He had a couple of chances on the counter, one in which he clearly got fouled by Tony Cruz and the referee. Didn't I, I'm, I'm so glad, glad, you, <laughs> glad you brought that up because, and, and for if you didn't see it, uh, you, you will know what we're talking about here. When you have a game where there's one team that is just dominating, that tends to put a, um, 
a dynamic and a blanket over the game relative to how it is being refereed. And so you're never going to get the benefit of the doubt in that type of situation because absolutely Brennan Aronson was fouled. All right. Any, if in just in a vacuum, that is a, that is a foul. However, because, because Berlin did nothing to, I guess, for lack of a better word, deserve that, that, uh, that foul to be called, they come right back the other end. And I know there's people sitting there, well, they shouldn't have to deserve it. It's either a foul or it's not. And you can't be a little pregnant and all that kind of stuff. But we all know that this is a subjective type of game and that referees are human beings and they are influenced by the proceedings. And I actually, I'm okay with that. I, we, we all recognize that whether you're on the field as a player, whether you're around the field, all, all that happens, whether it's the crowd, whether it's the moment, whether it's the type of possession that's going on, it influences how that game is called. And you saw it manifest in that moment when Brendan Aronson, like anywhere else in the world, like I said, in a vacuum would have been called for a foul and they go down the other end. He was just lucky they didn't score. On Real Madrid, um, Jude Bellingham is really papering over the cracks here of what could have been a potentially awkward start to the season for Real Madrid. You wonder how long he can keep this up because the grand plan here was for Benzema to play one more season, leave in 24, and then they were going to sign Mbappe or Holland to replace him. And Benzema threw them a curveball by leaving this summer to go to Saudi Arabia. Carlo Ancelotti wanted them to sign Harry Kane, which is a bit self-serving on his part because this is probably going to be his last season, so you wanted them to quote-unquote go for it. They said, no, we're just going to get by this season, stick to the original timetable, keep our powder dry. Next summer, they're going to try to sign Mbappe or Holland, And so they've left themselves very light up front this season. They signed this guy, Jose Lu, with the idea that he was going to be a backup squad player type. And now he's starting games. And then the compound matters, Vinicius got hurt. And so you look at that lineup and you'd wonder where are the goals going to come from, except for the fact that Jude Bellingham has turned into this prolific goal scorer. Give Carlo Ancelotti credit because he's devised this formation. They're playing a diamond with Bellingham at the tip. He's playing farther up the field than he ever played at Dortmund. And so Ancelotti seemed to think that Bellingham had this in him, but it's still surprising to me. I know he got 14 goals for Dortmund last season, which was an uptick from his previous campaign. So you, there were some signs, but still. Is it, but is it really covering up the cracks or is it just, uh, you know, a recognition that there's injuries and other people have had to take, you know, pick up the slack going forward? I well, mean, well, Vinicius is out. That's right? true. So when he comes back, that'll help. But the, there's no center forward. Of, I mean, Benzema's gone. Like I said, they signed this guy, Jose Lu. He's the only center forward in the squad, but he, he's not good enough to be a week-in, week-out starter for a top But they knew going in he's so, not going to be a Benzema. Yeah, so they're, they're, they're going to try to get by the season without a center forward per se. And to do that, you need a bunch of other guys chipping in and they're getting it from Bellingham so far, but to a degree that I don't think even they expected. I mean, he's on pace to score 30. Okay, so, so, that's, so your point is that th this is an aberration here and this potentially could be an anomaly and th there's no, it's not that there's no way he could do it, but it, it would be very surprising if we were able to keep up this yeah. pace for the rest of the season and they were able to rely on him. So, so they're putting a lot of eggs in a basket yes. that was not designed to have a lot of eggs. There's already been it. like three games this season where he scored a late winner. I mean, right. if you take away the, the, their record would be much different. We'd be having a very different conversation. All right, right? well, we'll see if it goes on and they get that one nothing win over, uh, over Berlin. What else? And then Arsenal in their first Champions League match since 2017 absolutely demolished PSV. Uh, Saka, Trossard, Jesus, and Odegaard with the goals. Uh, Serginio Dest was the one American that got the start. 
Tillman came on in the second half, and then Pepe came on at <laughs> the very end. I don't want to claim him. But. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Pepe came on very late in stoppage time, so not much of a chance to do anything. Des got a lot of uh, a, a lot of criticism, uh, and, and rightfully so. And I think it just kind of highlights the fact that while Serginho Des going forward has always been really, really good um, and continues to be really, really good, he gets exposed uh, and he gets found out if and when he is on a team that. Uh, has to defend, which will, which is going to be interesting going forward. For example, the U.S. playing Germany uh, here next month, if and when the U.S. doesn't have the ball, if and when they are put under it, and if and when Sergio Dest is going to be asked to defend what he can, uh, what can he, what can he ultimately do? So, but this is nothing new and should not be a surprise, and it's a trade-off because he's so good going forward. All right, so th- that was match day one of this season's Champions League. We'll cap this segment by reminding people that this is the last season of the UEFA Champions League as we know it, because beginning next season, it's going to be a very different format. Educate, uh, educate me and everybody else out there. I mean, if you can, Cliff Notes version here yeah. about what we can expect next year. And then you know, I want to hear your opinion on whether it's, is this a step in the right direction? So we're going to go from 32 to 36 teams. And instead of being divided into groups, it's just going to be all in one table, a league format. It's going to be the Swiss model where not everybody plays everybody. Instead, you, you get your fixtures drawn before the season. Um, and then you're just going to play and then look at the standings at the end. And I think it's the, the top eight go straight to the knockout stage. Then nine through 24 are going to play in playoffs to determine the other eight. And that's how you get 16. And then the knockout stage will look like it does now. But to get so, there. But, that, but that, isn't that just rearranging them? You're still, I mean, you could still say it's groups in the, the, the games, I don't know, I'm sure they're not random, but you're going to play a certain amount of games against others. But if it's in the form of a league table, you would think that you are going to play everybody if it's a balanced type of schedule. But that is not the case is what you're saying. No, okay. no. Um, it, it all feels a tad unwieldy to me. The context here is the uh, big clubs pressured UEFA to do this in exchange for not trying to do the Super League. And then they tried to do the Super League anyway, <laughs> but the change is stuck. So I guess UEFA must not be that upset with this because it means more games for the bigger clubs, more revenue. That that's what's behind all this. Sean Sullivan very cynical about it earlier. So you know, why does <laughs> everything have to be about we, money? We and, know he's yeah. Um, but are we calling it? Well, it's already called a league. So then this would be the table of the league, right? With thirty six teams, by the way, which makes it arguably the the biggest league in the world. Yeah. One, Beyond MLS. One could argue it's, it's finally <laughs> going to be named appropriately. Right. Because it is going to be. <laughs> exactly. All right. Well, so drink it in right now in the old traditional form, because next year it's going to be very different. And I got a feeling that next year we're going to be explaining it yet again, probably on a weekly basis so that everybody figures out, including this guy right here. Uh, anything else, Mossy? That's it. All right. Let's take a quick break. And when we come back, we'll have a little preview of other stuff that's coming up, uh, including some MLS uh, action that's happening. And by the way, we're recording this on Wednesday. There's MLS uh, action happening tonight. Don't go anywhere. Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now you can save $20 on the steel MS-162 or MS-170 chainsaw. Real steel. Offer valid through June 30th, 2024. See participating retailer for details.
Okay, welcome back. Uh, there's a full slate of games tonight, Mossy. As I said, we're recording this on Wednesday. Some MLS action tonight. And potentially, we are going to see the return of Messi as he continues on with his Inter-Miami team to attempt to make the playoffs. Although they've kind of said that the priority is, is Open Cup. So who knows? What do we All got? Right. Well, we're going to look ahead to this weekend's games. So we can't reference standings or winning streaks Got because it. all that could be dated by tomorrow when people listen to this pod. But games that we're pretty sure are going to be big this weekend regardless. Philadelphia, LAFC, a rematch of that incredible MLS Cup that you and I covered at Bank of California. Ooh. Remember that game? That was incredible. That was, that was one of the great games in MLS history. And, you know, both of these teams have shown vulnerabilities uh, this season. And that's, I mean, that's to be expected. You can't keep it up forever, especially in a league like uh, Major League Soccer. And actually, we're going to talk a little bit more about parity uh, with, with a T um, and, and Major League Soccer uh, later on in the pod. Yeah. Um, all right. So Philadelphia welcoming in LAFC. They, they know each other. I don't think that they particularly like each other. And they, again, are the extremes of how to what the philosophies are, by the way, we're also going to talk about philosophies coming up, but what, what Philadelphia set about to do as an MLS club and what LAFC set about to do could not get any more different. And yet they have both, both of their pathways have ultimately led to success. Um, I'm going to go with Philadelphia. I think, I think, what about you? To win this game? Yeah, to win. Yeah, I'll go with Philadelphia. Okay, there we go. Just a home team. What else we got? And then FS1 doubleheader on Sunday. You know, from the moment Lionel Messi signed with Inter Miami, John Strong and Stu Holden have told us how excited they are to be able to call uh, one of his games in MLS and they get their chance here. Orlando City hosting Inter Miami. Should be a good one, huh? Do, I don't know if we, do we call it anything? I mean, we name all of these different things. I'm sure that there is something and I'm sure there's Orlando fans out there or Miami fans or just fans in general out there saying, you moron, it's called blah, 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 blah. So I'm sure something is on offer. Something is online when it comes to the great state of Florida. Orlando hosting Miami. As we mentioned, there's a potential of Messi coming back midweek, uh, which is something that's happening here. It will have happened by the time that you are listening to this. And hopefully uh, he's back on the field because that's where people want to see. I got a lot of response, Mossy, uh, about our, our, our uh, episode earlier this week about the messy situation, M-E-S-S-I situation when it, comes to, when it comes to him. So I will hope that not only is he playing midweek, but that he also plays on our air on FS1 this weekend, Orlando versus... Uh, versus Miami. And we've seen that he, when he is on the field, he is a difference maker. So while Miami lost this past weekend, they have yet to lose with Messi on the field. So we'll see if that happens this, uh, this week. Did you see that that pizza place in Miami, Bunchetto, there were lines, lines out the around. Door. It's amazing. The power of now, uh, now, an how, Instagram How post. far does the Messi worship go? Do they have to order that ridiculous pie that he ordered just because? I think that in an effort to get as close to their God, their idol, as they possibly can, absolutely, that's, a, that's what you're ordering. Just to feel that you are experiencing what Messi would experience when he is eating this abomination of a pizza. <laughs> so well done. Well done. I mean, I'm glad that something good is coming out of all of this ridicule and scorn and criticism and uh, the pizzeria is making money and, uh, uh, and, and, and getting plenty of, uh, of airtime. Good job. So, uh, so anyway, I'm picking, <clears throat> I mean, 
Oscar Perea's got these guys flying down there in Orlando. I think they're licking their chops. I think I'm going to go for yet another loss for Miami, and this one with Messi on the field. Wow. Uh, also on FS1, uh, Austin will host the Galaxy. Both teams fighting to make the playoffs in the West. Hmm. This one's hard because both teams are struggling. And both teams, just when you think they've turned the corner, uh, say, no, we have not turned the corner. As a matter of fact, we haven't even gotten to the corner. Oh, my goodness. This is... Eh. I'll go with Austin. I'll go with home. all the home teams. I, I'm, for these three games that we picked out, I'm going with the, uh, the home teams. Again, that's on uh, FS1 on, uh, on Sunday. But there's, there's a whole lot on offer right now. And as we've said, we're getting down to this business end where everybody is jockeying for position in that musical chairs of, uh, of the playoffs. And some people are going to be happy and some people are going to be disappointed. And the ones that make it, uh, at least initially, they will be able to call their season a success. And the ones that don't, it is absolutely a failure. Mossy. Uh, random digression. Sure. I mentioned how we can't be too specific here because there are games going on tonight. Anything we say right now might be dated. Um, I read recently that David Letterman, towards the end of his career, started taping his Friday shows on Monday. It's true, yeah. Uh, to make them, he made them evergreen so that they would live. Yeah, he, and it meant that in a monologue, he couldn't ever say anything topical yeah. because a story could change. He could mention somebody, the person could die in the interim. And so... It's ridiculous. I mean, it's, it's ridiculous in general and in particular for David Letterman because being topical was literally what made him <laughs> must-see. I, uh, I, I, I some Letterman stories. I've been, I, went on, I went on a couple of different times, I think. Um, uh, he cut my goatee on air and there was a big bruja. This is right after the world cup and uh, flew to New York and we went on uh, the show and beforehand, you know, they prep you and everything like that. And they said, you know, Dave doesn't introduce himself. So the first time you see it, see him is when it opens up, the music plays and you walk on onto, uh, onto the set there. And they had said beforehand, he would like to cut the goatee. And this was right after the World Cup, so it was hot. Everything was popping. I said, "Hell no, that's not that's not happening." <laughs> this is this is my key here. All right, uh, this is the look. So what I did agree to let him do is have a pair of scissors and actually give a um, just a trim. So we ended up uh, agreeing to that. You walked on. It is the coldest and was the coldest studio I have ever been in by design. He, he felt that it kept the audience awake and on point, and he wanted that. But but to your point, uh, you know, at some point, these guys, they're so successful and they've made so much money and they get to kind of pick and choose what they want to do. And so recording a show at the beginning of the week, yeah, to, to traditionals, it would look like you're phoning it in and you are phoning it in. But, you know, who am I to scream and yell? The guy's a, a freaking legend. And it, was, uh, and it was awesome to go, you know, for example, on Letterman or to go on The Tonight Show uh, with Jay Leno and to walk out from behind these curtains or backstage that I remember growing up watching at night and never ever thinking that I would ever have a chance to be able to be one of those people that walked out. It's pretty, uh, pretty awesome stuff. I was very, very fortunate. Uh, what, what else you got, my friend? Uh, so we transitioned to Europe at the weekend. Uh, first up, France, uh, PSG hosting Marseille in the latest edition of Le Classique. 
Uh, I sung PSG's praises earlier, but just two wins in their first five Ligue 1 games this season, so they do have to get going domestically. They actually trail Marseille in the standings. Marseille, who have Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang leading the attack for them this season. Are you worried about PSG relative to Ligue 1? Um, they have screwed up Ligue 1 a couple of times in the last decade. They're not as sure a thing as Bayern We're is really in the We're going to do this league. again? Okay, all right. Listen, I, I know. I mean, we, we try to make it something, and more often than not, it's it's really not anything. And so they'll figure out a way and that they can, you know, do this tortoise and hare type of thing and wait around and then score a bunch of points just shows how elite they are relative to the rest of the field. Uh, Bundesliga, anything there? Well, do you know who is currently atop the league on the table? You just told me, didn't you? Uh, no, I no. said PSG trail Marseille, but Marseille isn't atop the table. Nice. Either. It is Monaco. Monaco. Folarin Balogun's Monaco. Unbeaten, first place. They host Nice, who are coming off a big 3-2 away win over PSG last weekend. So we'll see if Mr. Balogun can find the back of the net again this weekend. We, we talked about it's good things, good things. So I'm, I'm wishing him good things. Hey, I want him not only to score, I want him to win and win at the expense of PSG and uh, do something that we don't see a whole lot of. All right, so now we go to Germany. Borussia Dortmund do host Wolfsburg this weekend. I mentioned Gio Reyna was at least available on the bench for their Champions League game against PSG. Does that mean we'll finally see Gio make his season debut here? As I mentioned before, do I, I care because this is a great talent, but I'm really going to care ultimately when he gets on the field. Uh, you know, that he has been kind of brought along very slowly, and we've seen this before from, from Gio, is good but yeah i mean yeah i hope i hope we see him and i hope he's good but that's what he does he is he's a good player and again i i think that what, relative to the national team and these these games coming up i think he has to have multiple weeks where he is playing i don't think at this point he is starting anytime soon but we want to see that there's a consistency of him coming on the field not getting hurt again, and even that in and of itself is something, and showing that he is back from a physical perspective from uh, the fracture, right? It was a fracture, and that, that's not a good thing. I mean, your body has to heal, your bone actually has to heal, and more importantly, you have to trust yourself and your body in that moment, and sometimes it's much more up in the head than it is actually in the, uh, in the body. Uh, the big one in Spain, Atletico Madrid hosts Real Madrid in the Derby. Real Madrid with a perfect five wins out of five in La Liga. They currently sit atop the table. Atletico have played one fewer game because the weekend where I was in Madrid, their game was canceled because of rain. Madrid might be the only city that overreacts to rain more than Los Angeles. It was not that bad. I could not believe they canceled that freaking game. I might have gone to it. Were, oh, you were going to go? Possibly? I was, if you were, I I mean, was if thinking there, about it. You might as well check it out. Yeah. Um, they can't, they can't, Atletico <laughs> Madrid can't do their magic, okay, unless it's pristine conditions, evidently. You know, I, uh, I actually had tickets to see a bullfight and that got rained out. Really? And when I got back, I mentioned that to Zach Kenworthy. And he said, you better not say that on the air because it's bullfighting is very politically incorrect. A lot of people are going to get mad at you for that. So I'll, I'll leave that up to Sean Sullivan, whether it needs to be so edited out or do not. You, you're not, you're not going to get edited out. All right. Am I going to get canceled here? Well, I, I, that's, it, was, it remains to be seen. I don't know if we're at the point where you get canceled for something that you thought about doing <laughs> as opposed to actually, uh, actually doing. For example, you know, when I went to South Korea and uh, ate dog, all right, that was, that happened. All right. Um, but I think you're going to be fine. I think you're going to be fine. Okay. I'll tell you that story later. It's a, that's a tease for later. All right, go ahead. Not later this show, but later on, you know? 
Yeah, so like I said, I keep waiting for Real Madrid to get found out a little bit here. But I think Jude Bellingham is papering over the cracks. This might be a game where they might finally suffer defeat. Uh, we'll see. Well, let's just hope that there's good weather. Yes. Right. <laughs> um, and then finally, the Premier League. Manchester City hosts Nottingham Forest. Uh, Matt Turner uh, expected to start and goal for Forest, but we do need to have a conversation here because uh, Matt Turner left Arsenal to go to Forest ostensibly so he could be a regular starter. But mm-hmm. then on deadline day, Forest surprised everybody by signing this Greek goalkeeper from Benfica, Vlakodimos. Uh, and their manager, Steve Cooper, has said it's a wide open competition. In his view, there's no pecking order right now. And reading the fan comments and, and, and journalists who cover the team, they all expect Vlakodimos to emerge as a starter eventually. So Matt Turner faces a real fight here to hold on to this job. I mean, he made this move so he could start regularly. And keep in mind, Wayne Hennessy is also on this roster and Ethan Horvath, who is so far down the pecking order, he wasn't even included in their Premier League squad for this season. So he's not eligible to play for the next few months. So uh, it's a bizarre situation here. If Turner loses his job, the U.S. could have its top two goalkeepers. I think you'd have to say right now it's Turner and Horvath in the pecking order. I mean, I know Zach Steffen, but... Um, not playing for the same team, which would be very weird. I mean, <laughs> if if this happens, not happens to Matt Turner, if Matt Turner allows this to happen, and Matt Turner has made his name off of defying expectations. And let's be honest, just working his ass off to the point where you cannot keep him off the field. However, you know, being the, the number two at Arsenal, there's some cachet to, that comes with that. Do you think that this was the plan all the time when it came to Nottingham Forest in terms of the Greek signing and beware Greeks, especially Greeks in goal? Uh, or, I mean, because they, they wouldn't have seen him and they, will, they would have just known this is who he is, but was there buyer's remorse or that we, we did this, but this is not going to be good enough. Very strange. I have no explanation of why you should go out and sign a guy who's going to be the guy and not sign two players who you consider more or less on the same level and have this awkward dynamic where nobody knows who's a starter. At least that's how I would do it. In normal circumstances, if you sign the number two at Arsenal, and not just any Arsenal, one of the great Arsenal teams, that's to have that person be the number one. The experience that they have, where they're coming from, and this, you know, he's also an international there. So, but again, he should not be given it or gifted it any more than any other player. And so if he's going to have to fight for it and actually I want him to fight for it and win. And from a competitive standpoint, I think it makes him that much better because he has to be constantly under pressure and there's other American goalkeepers that are coming up too. So if Matt Turner wants to be the number one come 2026, and I, I think right now I would put my money on it. Uh, he's got to make sure that he doesn't get complacent. And look, Matt Turner's personality is not something that gets complacent, but this might be yet another fire that Matt Turner gets lit under. And, you know, he gave an interview, which I did not think was that bad. I felt like people on Twitter were twisting his words around a little bit, but he expressed some frustration that he didn't play more at Arsenal. And everybody put two and two together and, and thought that he's suggesting that Ramsdale, because he was English, got preferential treatment. So that turned into a whole thing between English and American fans on Twitter for a couple of days. Is there a bias towards English players in the Premier League? And so. That, we talked about with Pulisic too, that conversation is in the air right now. It's going to be just fine. Don't, <laughs> uh, don't you worry. It's going to be ju- just fine. But if Matt Turner is not starting on a continual basis and went from being the number two at Arsenal to now the number two at uh, Nottingham Forest, that's, that's not good. And that was not what it was designed 
to do in terms of making this move for Matt Turner. And then finally, we have the North London Derby this weekend, Arsenal-Tottenham. We talked about Arsenal when we did the Champions League. They're looking great, picking up where they left off last season. Uh, but Tottenham, a real story here. Both these teams unbeaten on 13 points, two behind Manchester City. Uh, so far, so good Our for Tottenham this again? in We're, this post-Kane era. Yeah. You know, it's interesting because they had gone in recent years for Jose Mourinho and Antonio Conti. And this time around, they chose a less uh, lower-profile manager this Ange Postecoglou, who was born in Greece, but moved to Australia at an early age, played for Australia, coached Australia at the 2014 World Cup. Lots of Greeks in Australia, coached, so that's nothing. Yeah, though. coached Celtic and recently. And he has a good reputation for being a bright tactical mind and his teams play attractive football. And we're seeing it. Tottenham fans love this guy. They love the way the team is playing. Madison is an emerging star. Son is kind of filling that Kane void. And so far, so good. I thought with, without Kane, it'd be a bigger drop-off than this, but they're playing pretty well. This is probably sacrilege to even bring up, let alone to ask you about, but is it addition by subtraction with, without Kane? I mean, can any team get better by losing Kane? Or is that just, am I well pushing that? You know, we, we talk about this. Um, obviously, if you can have a great goal scorer on your team, you, you'd like to have him, but you, that can sometimes make you predictable. Mm -hmm. And so when you don't have that, you take that player out and it's different guys chipping in and, and maybe at, to a certain point that can make you... Well, it's undeniable more, that this, so far, still early days, but this is a better Spurs team than it was last year. Absolutely. Okay, yeah. so that, that, that in and of itself means that they are heading in the right direction. They have improved. Ali Wagner and, uh, and everybody else are believing that happy days are here again. And let's see if it lasts because this would be a huge, huge feather in the cap, um, but they're up against it against this Arsenal team playing... Uh, at Arsenal, right? Spurs at Arsenal. Yep. Okay. All right. What else we got? Anything that's, else? That's it. All right. Let's take another quick break. When we come back, it's time for Ask Alexi. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Okay, welcome back. It's time for Ask Alexi, that part of the show where you send in your questions, comments, concerns. You can use that hashtag Ask Alexi out there on all the social media platforms. And on those social media platforms, our handle is SOTU with Alexi. Or you can call in to our State of the Union podcast hotline, which is 657 549 2297. That's 657 549 2297. Before we get to the uh, questions here, Mossy, uh, we want to try yet another avenue to get questions in. We want to make sure we're covering it out there. We know some of you listen to it in a certain way or watch it in a certain way. But uh, if you uh, are involved in terms of downloading uh, when it comes to Apple, they let you review, as a lot of places do, review and leave five-star reviews. Well, hopefully five-star reviews when you like what you hear and what you see here on the State of the Union podcast. And so if you are leaving reviews, first off, thank you very much for, uh, for doing that. Even if it's critical, that's okay, whatever. At least you're taking the time and uh, you know, we, can, we can certainly use the, uh, uh, use the input. But if you leave a five-star review going forward, yeah, with a question in it, we'll take that. We will take that under advisement and we will try to answer them on the pod. And so in a certain way, we are bribing you 
to leave a five-star review and uh, ask a question there. So we'll see how that goes. We'll, we'll check in and we'll, uh, we'll look at the uh, reviews over there as we do. And as I said, you don't have to, you know, if you just want to uh, ask a question, you don't have to have five stars, but if you do five stars, it obviously means that you like it, or it means you really, really, really want your question used on air. So definitely uh, do that. And we appreciate everybody, whether they're re- leaving reviews or not, we appreciate everybody not using Apple and all the different platforms out there. All right, Mossy, what do we got this? Uh, this week or, or this episode we've got a voicemail let's take a listen right now hey Alexi and Monty this has been from Fort Collins Colorado love the show keep up the good work uh, I have a few things for Ask Alexi seeing the different styles of play that certain clubs or, or even countries have and are defined by is, is interesting it seems to me like there's a fine balance between a coach's building and team and strategy based on who the players they have are versus trying to implement their vision for how the game is best played, regardless of who the players are. So my first question is, do you think that all these styles of play produce the same quality, the same results given the same players, or are some styles better than others? And if you think some styles are better than others, which do you think are the best and why? Then a follow-up to that, do you think that Burhalter should be pushing the U.S. men's national team toward a given style that would be defining of U.S. men's soccer going forward, considering the particular players we have. Thanks. All right. Uh, well, thank you, Ben, from uh, Fort Collins. That was a big, very, uh, there was a lot of questions there. I want to make sure that I, that I get to them if I, if I possibly can here. And it, and it brings up so many things. We've talked about some of these things before. I, I definitely think that coaching, managing in soccer relative to other sports is one of these sports where your work is done beforehand in that when that whistle blows, you have the least amount of impact and effect as to what ultimately happens on the field. It's not that you don't have an effect. It's just that all your work has been done before. And yeah, you can make substitutions and scream and yell from the sideline. But for the most part, the autonomy is for the players out there to make the decisions uh, that they uh, that they do. And that's something that I love about the game. But in no way, shape or form does that mean that coaches aren't important, that managers aren't important. And let's also be very honest here. Uh, teams, coaches, managers, uh, even players will talk about style and identity and philosophy and ethos and tactics and all this kind of stuff. And a lot of it is BS. All right. Any good coach, if they're being honest, so maybe in the middle of the night when we are at our most honest, will always tell you, I can only be as good as the players that they have. And so you come in, you look at the players that you have or the players that are coming in or the players that you want to do something. And then you say, this is how we are going to play relative to the players. Now, there's others that come in and say, this is how I play. And either I have the players to do that or I don't. If I don't, then I have to teach the players that I have to do that, or I have to get new players. That takes a little longer, and that is much more risky, okay? When it comes to Burhalter, and I think this gets back to something, I think we talked about this earlier this week, Mossy, or maybe last week, in that I think Greg Burhalter and the Federation recognized that this was a much more long-term type of plan in a double cycle type of situation. And I think Greg Berhalter recognized the moment that he took the job, that he was coming in with a generation that was very different than any previous generation and certainly different than the generation that I played, the generation that even Greg Berhalter played in that the things that he wanted to do 
the, the, the commitment to possession out of the back, right from the goalkeeper uh, in terms of playing out of the back, playing short and using that to advantage to break down the team. We saw that from the first game. As a matter of fact, they got their ass kicked at the very beginning. But I think he believed that this is how I feel this team is best at. Not, not right now, but eventually this is how I feel they're going to be, uh, they're going to be successful. And it remains to be seen ultimately if it comes to full fruition. I think you can argue both positively and negatively as to what we have seen so far, including this past World Cup. And I think that Greg now looks to 2026 as to where it, it fully manifests. And this is where this style of play that he has implemented at that point, it will be for seven years, comes to fruition. I don't know if it's ultimately uh, going to happen like, uh, happen like that, but I think that any coach naturally has to figure out very, very quickly, how long do I have? It's one thing if you have a long time and you can change things and you can get players to do different things, but there's also only a certain amount that a player can do. Masi, you, you as a player, if I'm your coach, I can say, do this. And maybe you can do it, but maybe you can't do it. So if I say, well, I'm going to teach you how to do that. All right, fine. How long is it going to take me to teach you? And can I actually teach you to the extent that you are capable of doing it where it's going to fit into what I'm doing? If you can't, then I have to give you different instructions and play to your strengths or I have to get you out and get somebody in, which is easier said than done. So I, I, I know I rambled a little bit there when it comes to what this is, but these are the, the day in and day out, year in and year out decisions that are being made and challenges that not only coaches and managers have, but now we have sporting directors and tech, uh, technical directors uh, in terms of thinking about what they want to do. And it's all fine and well to say, we want to be a possession team and we want to you know, have 23 passes and we want to go down the field and start from the goal kick and stuff like that. And then the players that you have can't do it and you get your ass kicked as opposed to saying, you know what? The best way for us to be successful is to, I don't know, play a rudimentary type of long ball approach or something or something like that. Mossy. Yeah, your famous quote when the U.S. lost 3-0 to Mexico in New York in a friendly in 2019 and made all these mistakes trying to play out of the back. You said he's trying to paint the Sistine Chapel with crayons. I was, and look, <laughs> I think I was being a little bit, I was in that moment as I, as I needed to be, but with a little perspective and with an understanding of it was much more of a process, I can now for maybe respect Greg more for saying, you know what, we're going to take our lumps. But what I think he did to my point is that he saw that this wasn't a case where I have to get rid of all these players in order to do what I want to do. I think he said, you know what, I am going to have to demand that they do it because I see in them the ability and the talent to be able to play like this. And in that moment, you know, you lose the battle uh, in order to win the, uh, but you win the war. Maybe in that moment, that was, you know, we're going to get our ass kicked here, but this is how you have to be able to play. And I'm going to make you play like that because I know you can play like that. And, you know, I think great coaches do that. Bad coaches, and it remains to be seen, don't recognize or don't recognize soon enough that they don't have the players to play that they want to play, or they're just so focused as to this is how we want to play that they can't see any other way to play. And that I think can be dangerous. And that oftentimes leads to people getting fired. Uh, we have a Twitter question at jborder79. Uh, if MLS wants to attract more international talent, 
the likes of Messi? Do they have to eliminate manufactured parody? I think he meant parody. <laughs> I don't know if he's trying to be clever there. In MLS, if they did, would teams like LAFC, Inter Miami, and the LA Galaxy have an advantage? The parody uh, with the T uh, <laughs> relative to the D is something that MLS folks have dealt with for years because <laughs> it always crops up. And I mean, I'd love to give them the benefit of the doubt, but I think that, you know, it's, it's spelled with a T, my friend. So um, if, if, if what you're saying is <laughs> about the, um, the desire to have the teams be equal and that parity with a T has dissipated a little bit over the years. And we have had that, uh, um, that separation that has come, not to the extent of any place else in the world, and I do think that it is still a huge component of what MLS wants to do and why MLS is still in existence. It's why it's survived and why uh, you can argue it also has thrived. But um, when it comes to, you know, he mentioned MLS wants to attract international talent like, uh, like Messi. I don't think that it precludes that the, the desire to have parity or the parity that exists precludes MLS from getting uh, getting players to come over. What, what I would argue is that give the teams that want to spend the ability to spend with the understanding that there are going to be some that don't spend as much. And in that moment, you're going to have to get smarter because if you don't, there is going to be a bigger separation than there is now. I think that in doing what they have done over, let's be honest, 30 years, close to 30 years, it has established the most successful league in American soccer, uh, professional soccer history. Having said that, what could it be? What could these teams be if you took off some of the restrictions, you took off some of the restraints, you took off some of the training wheels that have enabled this uh, league to continue on? And some of these owners that have very, very deep pockets that want to do big, bold arrogant things were given the opportunity to uh, opportunity to do that. I would love to see that because this steady growth has been great. And again, I don't, I'm not saying that you kill the golden goose here. And I'm not saying that you do anything that's detrimental to the league, but at some point MLS is going to have to do something that dramatically changes their course. And I think doing something like that does it. And you're never going to get a better time than, for example, the 2026 World Cup coming in terms of saying, you know what, we are going to plant our flag here in a way that we haven't before and say there, it's different than it has been. And now we're going all guns blazing and not in a Saudi Arabia type of situation. This is America and Canada saying, you know what, North America, where we're spending money, we're letting owners do what they want to do. We're letting people do what they want to do for their individual business to make it successful. And in doing so, the entire league is going to be successful and see what MLS looks like in the context of something like that. I agree. I think the playoff format with single elimination games already gives you some of that parity and negates MLS ever becoming the Bundesliga. It's hard to imagine a team that's ever going to be so much better than everybody else that they're not going to be susceptible to having that off game in the playoffs. So I think that's already going to create enough parity there where you can uh, loosen up in other areas. I will say this though, and this is a small caveat. I love the fact that the night before MLS kicks off every season, that every fan of a team has the belief 
that their team could win it all because that does not exist around the world. And losing that, you will lose something. Again, it's a trade-off. I, 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 don't, I don't want to lose that completely because I think it makes it wonderful and I think it makes it unique. The flip side of the coin, as I just mentioned, is the Bundesliga where I was watching that Bayern Munich, Bayern Leverkusen game a few days ago and it's now 11 in a row for Bayern and they look like the best team again this season. And I was thinking... How many would it take before, if it's 15 in a row, 20 in a row, before they would say in that country, yeah, maybe a salary cap playoff, something different, something that we never considered before, but this is just such a ridiculous situation we're in that we have to consider some drastic change. Can you imagine, and this is just, <laughs> this is just fantasy, right? If the Bundesliga, for example, or the EPL for that matter, if they just took all of their players at the beginning of the season and just did a kind of schoolyard thing where Pep and everybody else, you just go one pick at a time. What would the league look like? Would it be as entertaining? Would it be as popular? Would, would people care about it as much? Would the, would the players that we love look the same? Would the coaches, Pep, for example, look the same in that type of moment? I guess this goes back to the previous question that yeah. we had in what, what parody does with a T is does give us a much fairer assessment of what coaching is, what managers are. And as I said before, it does what it's designed to do, which is give people hope. Give people hope that you can actually be the best, that your team can actually win. And in most leagues around the world, that hope is diminished because of the structure. That's it. All right, let's take another quick break. When we come back, got my one for the road. Okay, welcome back. It's the end of our show. And at the end of each and every show, I give you my one for the road. Uh, U.S. Women's National Team, my friend, uh, it is upon us. It is, I guess, either ending or starting, returning, going. I don't know. But uh, the U.S. Women's National Team is back in action again. First time since after the uh, World Cup debacle. Thursday and Sunday of this week, they have games against... Um, South Africa. We saw South Africa, wonderful team, and they are bringing their uh, their roster, including uh, got Lana and Magai and uh, Mathalo and those types of uh, players that we saw star in the World Cup. So this is a formidable opponent, and this is an opportunity for this U.S. team. We talked earlier this week about how this was supposed to be a celebration. <laughs> this was so, supposed to be uh, a celebration of yet another successful World Cup. And so it's, it's a strange type of moment that this team finds itself in. Uh, it's going to be used as a celebration for the international retirement of Julie Ertz and Megan Rapinoe. And they will get their, their plaudits, and rightfully so. But I also think it's going to be used as a a moment to kind of look forward. There are new players on this roster and we'll get into it a whole lot more next week. Our, our good friend, Heather O'Reilly is going to come by uh, and join us, which is all, always great. Uh, there are some uh, players uh, that are new to this team, uh, including uh, Jane Shaw from the San Diego wave. And uh, let's see Mia official from uh, Chelsea plays over at Chelsea and uh, Vignola plays over at angel city. And then a lot of the uh, usual suspects, as we mentioned, including Lindsay Horan and uh, let's see, Alana Cook and uh, Alyssa Nair, and the list goes on and on and on. And it, may, it might be even weird for them taking the field 
given that this will be the first time in a long time, and certainly for a lot of these players, uh, uh, even though they've played on this team for a long time, this will be the first time that they are kind of stepping on the field after a failure at a World Cup. And I don't think it's going to dampen the spirits of the crowd uh, or the, uh, you know, the excitement of seeing, seeing this team. But this is a different moment and a real, I think, opportunity going forward. And we're going to talk more about this, like I said, next week with, uh, with Heather, that this team needs a reboot. This team needs a restart and not a reboot relative, relative to kind of stuff we talk about with Germany, where it needs a complete overhaul in terms of players. I think that's going to happen naturally anyway, but in terms of their grasp on the public, in terms of the way that they are viewed, in terms of their marketability, in terms of their, yeah, and we use this word a lot during the World Cup, their likability. There is an opportunity for this team to kind of turn a page and say, whatever happened before, as good as it was, and most of it was good, and as bad as it was, and we certainly, that's fresh in our minds, that's done. They're going to name a coach at some point, And I would think sooner rather than later, given the fact that they have the Olympics next, uh, next summer. And this person is going to be in charge. And you talk about opportunity, the, the opportunity to bring this team back to the Mount. I mean, that should be attractive to anybody that takes it, especially with the talent that exists and the talent that is, uh, that is, that is coming up. But I'll be really interested going forward here, not just in terms of these next two games, but going forward as to, what the narrative is relative to this team, what the response is to this team in the, the sports world. And let's be honest in the cultural world out there, because this is a team that transcended the actual sport for, you know, now the last eight, 10 years. And yet this fall from grace and this fall back to earth that happened because of the world cup, how much, does that hurt the brand of the women's national team going forward? Or can they pick up where they left off? Can they dust themselves off and in a, in a new way, I guess, become something bigger and maybe even better going forward as this next cycle continues on. And hopefully it leads back to, like I said, a much more successful U S women's national team. I, uh, and I was going back and forth as I want to do Mossy on the old Twitter machine or the X machine right now. And, and I get yelled at a lot and people call me names and uh, are critical. And that's just part of the deal. I've, I, you know, I've worked women's soccer now for a long time. And, you know, while we call it women's soccer and we call it men's soccer, ultimately it's people kicking a ball. And I love when people kick a ball and that in this case, they're Americans kicking a ball. It's, that much better uh, for me. And I enjoy it. I enjoy working the game. I enjoy working a World Cup, but it's a hundred times better when this team is good. It's a hundred times better when people are moved by this team. And that is what is at stake here. That is what has been lost for this team. But by own stretch of the imagination, is it not able to be regained? And in a different way, and maybe even in a better way going forward. And so that's what I hope that these players, whether they're new or whether they're continuing on, 
recognize that it's in the palm of their hand. This is still a massive brand with incredible power, both on the field and off the field. And if and when you harness it, it can change your life individually. It can change your life collectively as a team. And you can make history. You can become legend. But it's all there. And I'll just be interested to see how these players go about going forward, distancing, them, distancing themselves, separating themselves, or maybe they go a different way and attach themselves. But now they're attaching both to the good and the recent bad. And that could pose problems uh, going forward. Mossy, anything uh, before we go? Well, a couple of women's soccer notes. In Europe, the Nations League is starting, and that serves as qualifying for the Olympics. And uh, it's a little odd. England is the one seeking to qualify, but then it's a Great Britain team at the Olympics. And so they've announced that Serena Vigman will manage the Great Britain team if, assuming England qualify. And then the Spain drama rolls on, by the way. Ruby Alice is gone. Jorge Vilda is gone. But the players still want further changes at the Federation. And so they were threatening not to play. And it came down to the last couple of days here. And they've struck some sort of deal where they are going to play these Nations League games. Uh, I guess they've been given guarantees that the changes they want in the Federation are going to occur. And so, yeah, that story rolls on. I can't wait to ask Heather about it. What a mess. What a mess. All right, listen, have a wonderful weekend. Thank you again for listening and reviewing and rating and subscribing and downloading and doing all the different things that you do. Thanks to uh, everybody that sent in questions. Uh, again, over there on the old uh, Apple machine, if you want to leave some reviews and you leave that five-star review, uh, we'll use your question. That's what we do. We're not above uh, doing something like that. And uh, they make a difference. So regardless if it's five stars or not, we hope that it's five stars, but either way, Definitely leave us a review and let us know uh, how you uh, how you get the pod and what you think of the pod. And I thank you each and every day. I get messages uh, or I meet people and they tell me uh, how much they love the pod, how much they love you, Mossy. And so I'm passing along yet more good wishes to you. But ultimately, this is a, a labor of love and all the wonderful men and women behind the scenes that make us look good out here. I mean, we've done this how many years now, Mossy? What are we looking at here? We started when again? 18? And we started February of 18. So it's yeah. coming up on six years. It's amazing. You mentioned behind women and women behind the scenes. Yeah. I want to give a shout out to Alex who stepped in for Aaron today as a director and did a fantastic job. Might uh, be a Wally Pip situation. I mean, we'll see if this recorded or not, but, uh, you know, we'll, we'll figure it out. All right. We will talk to you again uh, next week. Enjoy your soccer this weekend. All sorts of stuff going on, domestic and international uh, out there. And until then, and as always, my friends, size the day. <laughs>